Turn in your Bibles to John 3, 16. Sort of a famous verse. Most of you know that verse with, by heart. We're going to look at our study. We're continuing our study called Jesus and His World, and we're seeing all these events and places and things. We divided the study into four big sections. This is not new. The end of the Old Testament, which is basically went into captivity. The between the Testaments, after they came back. What happened then? Beginning of the New Testament. It's where we are now. And then the last two lessons will be the end times, and we'll talk about how that fits together. So tonight, as we continue, we're in the third section, the beginning of the New Testament. We've seen the rise of Rome as a world power. We've seen this whole idea of peace and the Roman roads and the language and the law, all of this coming together at exactly the right time. Last time we saw the coming of the forerunner, John the Baptist, and the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what we saw last time. Well, this time we're going we're gonna to finish looking at the person of Christ, and then we're going to see the beginning of the ministries of the forerunner and the Messiah. And then it literally, literally for this lesson, it's got past and present ministry of Christ, but we're going to see that, but the, the present ministry will be probably in the next lesson. So we're going to see the past ministry tonight. So there's some, there's some really good things there. So let's start and, and, and think about this. What, what's in a name? A lot of times people say, you know, a name, you know, that old famous poem, a rose by any other name will still smell just as sweet. When you think of a name, names in the Bible always mean something. What, what does the name Abraham mean? father of many nations. What about Daniel? El, the last part of his name, El, anything that ends in an E-L, that's God. So Daniel, God is judge. That's what Daniel means. How about Joshua or Joshua? That's Savior. That same name as Jesus, really. What about Barnabas? <laughs> his real name was something else. Huh? No. Barnabas means encourager. That's what it means. Okay, last time we saw the name Jesus and we talked about the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what we did. Uh, we, we, we see he's the Savior and all that. So we looked at it this way. The person of Christ, the, uh, the, that's what we're going to look at this, this morning, uh, this, tonight. We're going to see the first part. Then we're going to see the ministries and then we're going to see the past ministry. So let's go back and look at the person of Christ. We saw this last time. We saw his name, his position, and we didn't get to his uniqueness. So this is where we are. And I just want to remind you as we think about it, his name tells us about him his position as the Son of God and his uniqueness that nobody is like him. So let's just review. You saw this first part. You saw his name and his position last time, but let's just touch on it. His name, his personal name is Jesus. What does it mean? It means Savior. And the Hebrew name comes, it means Jehovah's salvation or, or God is Savior. And of course, Hebrews 4, I mean, uh, Acts 4.12 says there's salvation no other. There's no other name given among heaven by which we might be saved. You know, when, when you say name in the Bible, it goes to the character of whatever that name means. Because when you say, uh, he, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. The name is the person who it is. So they're saying that Jesus is the Savior. The name Christ comes from Christos. It's the same as the Old Testament name Messiah or Mashiach. It means the anointed one of God. And we talked about the anointed one. If you, if you ever look at Psalm 2, it talks about God's anointed one. That means one set apart for service. The third thing about the name, we talked about it last time, is the name Lord. It's a title as well. He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord means deity, has the idea of the sovereign God. So you've got his name as deity, savior, Anointed one of God. That's the three names and how they fit together. So that's what we saw last time. We also talked about his position. And when we said position, we said his relationship to God and the place of where he is. As far as relationship to God, he is called the Son of God. That's amazing. Now let me tell you something. When, when Jesus said that he was the Son of God, 
the people understood that he meant that he was claiming to be God. Because in the Hebrew way of looking at things, if you say you're the son of someone, it means you're the same as they are. And so to say he's the son of God, when Jesus said, I'm the son of God, they said, you're making yourself out to be God. You're calling yourself God. Hebrews 1.3, we talked about that, that he's the exact image of Father, and so that's who he is. He is the, the the Savior, the exact image, those kind of things. It's powerful when you look at it. Then we saw last week, and we're catching up, but we'll be to it in just a minute. We saw his place. Where is he now? I love this, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter eight, verse one, and I love the way the writer said it. He says, "Now, now the point of what I've been trying to tell you is this. That's all you. He says that the point we've been trying to say is this." Jesus is the great high priest who is now taking his seat at the right hand of the throne of the Father. That's who he is. His work is finished. Now, when I say his work is finished, his work is finished as far as paying for the sins of mankind. Because he's still, he's working right now at, at seat at the right hand of the Father. And so we'll see how that, that goes. That, that uh, He's the great high priest who's set there. His work continues on. We're going to see it later on. So we've seen his position his name. Let's talk about his uniqueness. Now, this is pretty interesting because this is, this is Jesus. And if you notice, let's look at John three, sixteen for just a second. And some of your Bibles may read a little bit different than mine. Here's, mine says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his, mine says, only begotten son. Some Bibles say what? His one and only son? What, what, is, what some translations do we have? Anything different than only begotten son? One and only Son. Any other differences? Okay, the, the, there is um, a Greek word. It's called monogenes. It's one word, and it means only begotten. It means the unique one, the special one. Now, is Jesus the only Son of God? How many say, yeah? No. <laughs> Aren't you a Son of God? Then the Bible says, many received him, the right became children of God, sons of God. Yeah, so, but he's the unique son of God. And when you think about it, he's the only begotten one, which means he is unique. There's nobody else like him. And so in a sense, there are more sons of God. In fact, did you know the angels in the Old Testament were called what? Sons of God. And believers in the New Testament are called children of God or sons of God. But he's the monogamous. He's the only begotten one. He is the unique son of God. And we'll, we'll see that. How is he the unique one? And so I think, I guess you're, we're all the way over, what, to page two on this, and we see uh, the John three sixteen. And so underneath it, we're going to look at how he's unique. And so let's talk about it for a little bit. And we're going to have interaction. You know, I don't want it just to be me talking. But here, the first thing is that makes him unique is Jesus is both God and man. At the same time. He's both God and man at the same time. Now think about it. There are, there's man, mankind, there's people, and then there's angels, and there's God. So in, the, in a sense, there are actually three different beings. There's the divine being, there's the angelic beings, and there's the human beings. But at a point in time in history, Jesus Christ, who is God, left the glories of heaven and became a man, but he's God. He's the God-man. In fact, he's the only one. He's so unique because he's the only one that is both God and man. Is the Father God and man? No. Is the Spirit God and man? No, he's not. And uh, the verse, there's a, uh, 
a verse in 1 Timothy 2, 5 says there's, there's only one mediator between man and God, or men and God, or man and God, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. Because it's emphasizing, and by the way, it says Christ Jesus. What, what's the emphasis whenever Christ is first? See, his name, we say Jesus Christ. But sometimes Paul says Christ Jesus. Why? This is emphasizing the deity. This is emphasizing the humanity. So he's, there's one mediator between God and man, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. So he's emphasizing his humanity and deity at the same time. It has got to be the most amazing thing that God became a person. Now we're talking about the eternal God that's always existed, and he became a human being. John 1, 4, well, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh. He became a human being. Galatians 4, 4, and you can write these verses out if you just want to write them out, not, not the verse itself, but the, but the reference. Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman. So the very first thing is that what makes him so unique is he is both God and man. There's no other creature that's God and man. You know, there's some people who think they're God, but they're not. And, uh, but Jesus is God and man. Okay, here's the second thing. Uh, by Galatians 4, 4. He's the, the life giver. He's the life giver. I give them what? Eternal life. And we'll talk, we'll, we'll talk more maybe later on about what do you mean the, the life giver. But he's the one that gives life. He says, I give eternal life and they shall never perish. And, and I mean, he talks about uh, what he does. Think about this. Who gives life? Only Jesus, can, only Jesus gives life. He's the life giver. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say, here's, here's my word and believes him who sent me has, right then, eternal life. Here's one of my favorite places. Listen to this. This is John 11. If you just want to write it down, just write John 11, 25, and 26. Jesus is talking. And here's what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. Now think about that. Resurrection deals with what? With what? The no, the body, right? Resurrection is of the what? Listen, resurrection is not spiritual. Resurrection is always bodily in the scripture. It's not, it's not oh, they, were, they rose, but they were like a, a phantom. No, there's no such thing. Resurrection is the body. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. What does the resurrection refer to? What does the life refer to? Eternal, eternal life, right? So you got it? Now watch what he says. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. What's he talking about there? Resurrection of the body. Then he goes on to say, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. What's he talking about there? Eternal life. So Jesus says, I give life. I raise the dead. I give eternal life. He's the resurrection and the life. He is the life giver. If you remember the gospel of John at the very beginning, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. He goes down and says, in him was life. <clears throat> in him is life. He's the one that gives life. So that makes it, it's great, it's amazing. Okay, let's look at the third one. He never sinned. He's sinless. He's the only human being <clears throat> that never sinned. All people, all have sinned and what? Come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God has made him who knew no sin. Do you know there's a time when they're all arguing with him and all those Pharisees and all those Sadducees? And he says, Which one of you convicts me of any sin? 
name any sin that I've done. They couldn't name anything. They couldn't. I mean, just if we're together very long the time, we can name everybody's sins, right? Just inter, interpersonal type sins. He never sins. He's the perfect lamb without spot and without blemish. You know, any time you took a sacrifice, you were not supposed to take a sacrifice that had any blemish at all because it was a foreshadow of the coming Lamb of God who would be the perfect sacrifice. So he's sinless. He never sinned any way, shape, or form. Third, the fourth thing, he's eternal. He's always existed. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. What beginning? By the way, do you know the three beginnings in the Bible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the beginning, we won the game. No, that was not. Okay. There's three beginnings in the Bible. Did y'all know that, right? How about Genesis 1-1? What does it say? In the beginning, God created the what? Heavens and the earth. That's creation of this world. And then in 1 John 1-1, he says, That which was from the beginning, we touched him. What is he talking about there? Jesus Christ becoming a person. And then in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. What beginning is that? That's the eternal beginning. That's the beginning that had no beginning. So, when you read Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that's the beginning of creation. When you read 1 John 1, 1, it says, that which we saw from the beginning, that which we touched, that which we saw, that's the beginning of Jesus as a person. But John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's always existed. That's who He is. He's always existed. He is the eternal God. It's very, very powerful. Micah 5, 2. Have you ever thought about Micah 5, 2? Old little town of Bethlehem. Listen to this. You may have never read this. Do you all know what Micah 5 2 is about? That's about the birth of Jesus. If I start reading the verse, you'll know it. But you, Bethlehem, too little among the clans, for from you one will go forth from me. Bethlehem, that's the promise of where the Messiah will be born. Micah 5, 2, right? Do you all know that now? But listen to the verse carefully. From you, one will go forth from me to be the ruler in Israel. Who do they talk about? Jesus being born in Bethlehem, right? His goings forth are from the days of eternity. Micah 5, 2 says he's always existed. The one that's going to come and be born in Bethlehem has always existed. Think about that. Okay. You know, we said this over and over again, that there's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Father is a spirit being. The Holy Spirit is a spirit being. The Son was a spirit being until Galatians 4.4 4, and He became a human being. So at a point in time, the eternal Son of God, who's always existed with the Father and the Spirit, who are spirit beings, He became a human being. He's eternal. Angel of Jehovah. Huh? The angel of Jehovah. Is yeah. His, and then because it's ne once He's born, you never, it's never, angel of Jehovah's never Right, exactly. But there's, in the Old Testament, there's a term called the, the angel of the Lord or the angel of Jehovah. 
And most believe that's the pre-incarnate Christ before he took on a flesh. Because in the Old Testament, he has mentioned three or four different times the angel of the Lord appeared, the angel of the Lord appeared. And in several places, it's obvious that they say, oh, he's God. Okay? But then after the birth of Christ, never mentioned again as the angel of the Lord. So we think that Jesus was probably the pre-incarnate Christ as the angel of the Lord. That's a good point. Okay? So anyway, point in time in history, he becomes the human, a human being. Uh, from everlasting to everlasting... You are God. He's always existed. Okay? Number five is he's the anointed one. This is what makes him unique because uh, in the Old Testament, prophets were anointed and priests were anointed and kings were anointed, but nobody had all three offices. Sometimes there were people who were prophets and priests and sometimes there were people who were priests and kings, but nobody was a prophet, a priest, and a king. The anointed one of God is who is the prophet, priest, and king. He's the prophet because he speaks the word of God because he is the word of God. He is the great priest because he offers himself as the final sacrifice. And he is the great king. He's going to take the throne of his father, David. He returns as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. There's nobody like him. Listen, there's nobody like him. The more we, the more we look into the scripture and the more you see Jesus, you should be going... My gracious, I mean, there's nothing like him. I mean, I mean, he's the life giver, and, and he's the God-man, and he never sinned, and he's always existed, and he's the anointed one of God. Okay, everybody got that down? You got it? The prophet, priest, and king, the anointed one. I mean, think about it. We saw David get anointed, right? Did David get anointed as king? How about Saul? Did he get anointed as king? Was Samuel anointed as a prophet? Yeah. Uh, but, but nobody was the prophet and a priest and a king. Can you name anybody that was a king priest? Melchizedek was a king priest. Can you name anybody that was a prophet and a priest? Samuel, exactly. But nobody was a prophet, priest, and king except the anointed one. Here's one you're going to love. He was the first from the dead. Does that say first or first? You know, I... Uh, <laughs> I have dyslexia, and I don't type this, but even to me, that looked wrong. And, you know, and most things don't look wrong to me because I can't read it anyway. So I think he's the first from the dead, but are they, he was actually the first from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says he's the first to die and come back to never die again. I want you to think about that. Jesus raised people from the dead. Elijah and Elijah raised people from the dead. So raising somebody from the dead is not resurrection, it's resuscitation. Resurrection is to rise from the dead, never to die again. Jesus is the first one to die and rise again, never to die again. He is the resurrection and the life. He has conquered death. Let me, let me tell you, I, I, um, I've done a lot of weddings. I've done like 308 weddings, you know, 306, 307, 308 weddings. I've done 150 funerals. Uh, weddings are a lot happier, let me just tell you that, but... Um, when, when you do a funeral, and I did two funerals last week, two funerals last week, the greatest truth is to know that Jesus Christ has conquered death. Death is not the end. He is the resurrection and the life. And every human being will be raised from the dead. 
Because he's conquered death, not just for believers, but for unbelievers as well. Every human being is going to be raised from the dead. Some will exist forever with Jesus Christ. It's called eternal life. It comes by faith. Some will exist forever separated from Christ. It's called second death in the lake of fire. It's because they didn't believe. So Jesus Christ has conquered death because he's the first to rise from the grave. Wow. So it is, listen, if you die, what what happens the moment you die? To be absent from the body, you are present with the Lord. For believers, it's like, whoa, there he is. Then we're all shy. (laughs) You know, (laughs) did I do okay? You know, (laughs) I mean, really, that's what, you know, you think about it. We're talking about standing before the King of Kings and the Lord. Actually, we won't do that. We'll just fall on our faces. That's what we'll do. But anyway, so the, there, there he is, the unique son of God. He's the God-man, the life-giver, the sinless, the eternal, the anointed one, the first from the dead. So we've seen Jesus, and we looked a little bit about him, and we looked about his name, and we looked about his, where his position, and then we looked at his uniqueness. Well, here's the second thing, and we're going to talk about the ministry of the forerunner of the Messiah. And we're not going to go into a lot of detail. I just want you to see how this fits together, and because it is a little confusing. But, okay, who is the forerunner? The forerunner is John the Baptist. What was his ministry? What was, what was he to do? Okay. And it, it, start with this. Luke 3.3. 3. Oh, man. It, it did this earlier, and it been, has been coming back. I hope it comes back. Oh, please come back. Okay, thank you. All right. Okay. It says, he came into all the district around the Jordan. This is John the Baptist. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's a confusion John the Baptist's message wasn't, at at the beginning, believe in Jesus Christ, believe in the Messiah for salvation. His message was the nation of Israel to turn back to God because the Messiah was here and the king was on the earth. That's why he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah was here. So John the Baptist's message at the very beginning was to turn... Remember, if you, if you study in, in uh, Luke chapter 1 where the message is out, it, his message was to turn the nation back to God and to announce the coming of the Messiah. And that's what he did. That was his job. As he went further on, one day he's standing there with his disciples and Jesus comes by and he said the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that's the first time that John the Baptist pointed out the Messiah if you remember when people read it they're all coming out these John's out in the wilderness and he's baptizing people and all these people are coming out there and he says who warns you to flee because he's basically, and they said, what should we do? And he says, well, act right and don't take people's money and do that. I mean, he's telling them as a nation, get ready, the Messiah is here. That's what he's doing. Then later, of course, he talks about it and says, there's the Messiah. And he says, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's when the disciples begin to follow him. So be careful. A lot of times people will read what John is doing. And they're thinking, he's, he's telling people you have to be good to be saved. He's not giving the salvation message at the beginning. He's telling the nation to, he actually uses the word repent, which has the idea of change your mind. Change your mind about what you're doing as a nation because the, the Lamb of God is here. The Messiah is on the earth. The King is on the earth. So he pointed out the Messiah. So then we have the ministry of the Messiah. And, and here's what he did. Look what he did. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, change your mind. That's what it means. By the way, be careful. Repent. Yes, question. Um, that's his message. 
What now? Is there something on here that I don't? Well, I don't think that's right. It's Matthew 4.17. I don't know how that got typed on there, but it's Matthew 4.17. So thanks for bringing that out. And y'all mark it. Let me, let me borrow yours just for a second. I just got to put it. Anytime y'all see something wrong, tell me. Because remember, this is the first time we've done this one. And it's getting typed in there. And we're trying to put it together. And so what we'll do is the next time we ever teach it, most of these things will be corrected. Okay, so this, this is sort of like when y'all are the guinea pigs on the very first time we teach something. Okay, so it's Matthew 4.17. And look what he says. Repent. And let me, let me remind you of something. Repent doesn't mean turn from sin. A lot of people think it does. It's metaneo in the Greek. Meta means after. Naos means mind. It's an aftermind. It's an afterthought. It's an idea of saying, change your mind, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How is the kingdom of heaven at hand? What? The Messiah's on the earth. The king is there. And, and so that's, that's really what, what it's all about. The king is here. And so that's how Jesus started basically the beginning of the ministry because he's going to all these places. Now, of course, as time goes by, he keeps telling them who he is and his miracles point out who he is, that he's the Son of God and the Savior and the Messiah. And before we look, and we're going to get to this as we go. This will be in the next lesson. Before we get to Jesus paying for sin, conquering, doing all this, I want us just to think about his ministry. And we're looking at the past ministry of Christ. And that's going to take us the rest of the night. I think we'll have time to do that. And we may even get through early, but then again, probably not. But anyway, so let's think about the past ministry of Jesus. Let me do this while, while we're doing it. Let me get this erased off the board so that we can have some room to write if we need to. There's a lot of information that we're fixing to look at. And uh, so I just want you to see it. Because when we think about the past ministry of Christ, there's so many things we could do, but we're only going to hit on two things. We're going to talk about creation, his past ministry as the creator, and his past ministry as the redeemer. Okay? So the past ministry of Christ. So number one is the creation, the creator. Okay, Jesus is the creator. Jesus Christ's ministry in the past, he created all things. He brought all things into existence. If you remember, and we'll, we'll talk about it in just a second, that the eternal, he's eternal, he's always existed. He was there before there was any creation. In fact, he and the Father and the Holy Spirit brought everything in creation. Let, let me, let's, let's just do something. Genesis 1.1, what does it say? In the beginning, in the beginning, God did what? created the what? Heavens and earth. So he did it all, right? That's one sentence, right? By the way, one, two says the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the deep. So you got uh, right here, it's God. Most people say, well, that's probably talking about the Father. And some people say, well, that's definitely talking about the spirit when, when, where Jesus was. Maybe he was out doing something else. But we don't know. We'll talk about it in a second. I want you to understand this word God is Elohim in the Greek, I mean in the Hebrew, which is a plural form. It actually could be translated, in the beginning, God's created the heaven and the earth. Now, it's called the plural of majesty because when you see God in a plural form, it's referring to the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Okay? He created. Now, this is a unique word uh, that it, it means to make out of nothing. I think I have a thing. It's bara in Hebrew. And it's only used for God. Man never creates. That word is never used for people. It's only used for God. And it literally means to make out of nothing. 
That means to just create it, to make it. That's why when you go to the book of, he of Hebrews, and it talks about him creating, that we know that everything we see was made out of nothing. It, God just spoke it into being. And so you've got uh, the, Jesus' ministry as the creator. And you say, well, uh, where is he the creator? I, I, see, I see maybe the Father here, and I see the Spirit here, but where is Jesus? Well, there's a plural aspect here, but I want you to think about John. And let me just read this to you. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, he's in the beginning. Now, listen. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, what does that say? All things were what? Made by who? By who? Jesus. Does Jesus here? Who is this talking about in John 1? Talking about the Word, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through Him, through the Word. Who is the Word? Jesus. Who created everything? Did the Father create everything? Yes. Did the Son create everything? Yes. Did the Holy Spirit create everything? Yes. One God, three persons. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Jesus said, I lay down my life, I take it up again. The Bible says the Father raised him from the dead. The Bible says in Romans that he's declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, by the Spirit of holiness. Who raised Jesus from the dead? The Father, Son, and the Spirit. Who created all things? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who created people? God said, let, oh, excuse me, he said, let what? What does he say in Genesis 1:26? And God said, let us create man in our our image who are we talking about god the father so think about this so who is the creator jesus is the creator look at this right here this is that's who made all things were made by him colossians 1 16 and 17 let me read this for you you don't have to turn there just listen to this colossians 1 16 and 17 for by him all things were created talking about jesus both in the heavens and on earth, whether they're visible or invisible, what's invisible? What was, what's created that's invisible? Angels, exactly. Angels in this room, by the way. You know that? You believe angels are in this room? Good angels? Bad angels? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting over here with these big guy people right here, so in case anything happens, right? In the, by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now listen to this. All things have been created through him and for him. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. All things, all things were created by him and for him. By him and for him. I mean, he is, he is it. All things. So when you think about it, and by the way, you know, they, I remember when I first started studying science, and of course, this is a long time ago, and everything's changed, and it's gotten even more detail, but, you know, they talked about atoms, and they talked about the things that are down in the atoms, and the protons, and the neutrons, and then they talked about things that were so little nobody could see in those days. Now they got smaller and smaller, and yet, when they look at this, they say, it's all in there, but something is keeping it together, right? Right? Y'all know that, right? What's keeping it together? Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He keeps this whole world together. People say, Jesus ain't doing anything anymore. Yeah, he's holding everything together right now, holding it all together. He created all things. Yeah. 
so small, and the smallest thing that could ever get to on it was a cross. Really? Oh, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Uh, that as a, and, but there's no, there's something inside that too. By the way, it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, when you take a telescope and you go out as far as you can go, it, you go just as unbelievably amazing. And you take a microscope and you go as small as you can go, it's unbelievable, amazing. Because he's the creator of all things. At a point in time, he brought all creation into existence. Let me ask you a question. Does, is, is Jesus still creating? Because we know he, he created for six days and on the seventh day rested, right? But is he still creating? Huh? He's creating what? Us, exactly. Exa I mean, think about this. Psalm 139. Let me read this. Y'all know it. You can just write down Psalm 139 if you want to. He says, you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. The word wove means a tapestry. Every one of us in this room were uniquely designed by Jesus Christ. So you can say, I don't like myself. Well, then talk to Jesus about it. He's the one that made you. Really? You know, if you don't like yourself, you got a problem. Because he's the one that did it all. Um, I, listen to this. This is Psalm 102. I, I love this. You'll, you'll go, God, I didn't. Because you may not have ever seen this. I remember the first time I actually saw it, I, I didn't get it. Uh, Psalm 102, verse 18. It says, he's talking about how great he is and everything. And he says, this will be written for the generations to come. The people yet to be created. Wow. We got people in our church right now that in their bellies, God is creating something right now. Unique and special. He's the creator. This is what he did. This is his past ministry and present. The second thing, and if you look on your thing, I think it's um, uh, my handout's sort of messed up and it's got a two at the bottom. But it should be a two at the top of the next page, which says redemption. By the way, he created all things by him for him. The next one is he's the redeemer, redemption. That's the second thing that he does. And we're going to look at some details. Now, when you think of redemption, what do you, what do you think of when you think of it? It talks about Jesus is the redeemer. We have an idea that when we say he's the creator, we say, well, he made everything. What do you think of when you hear the word redeemer? Say, what did you say? That's exactly what the word redemption means to purchase by paying a price. He's called the Savior. He saves mankind. Redemption is to purchase by paying a price. You ever went to the store and bought some coffee? And you put it up there, and I don't even know what coffee costs because I don't go to the store. But anyway, my wife goes to the store. And, and that, let's say it's $4 for this small can of coffee, I'm sure. So they say $4, and you give money. What did you just do? You redeemed it. You purchased it by paying a price. And that's what redemption is. Now, Jesus purchased us. Think about that. Realize Adam and Eve fall, separated man, and man's a sinner, and we need a, we need a Savior. We need to be purchased. We're, we're dead in sin, and we're separated from God. 
And there's, got a, there's a price. What is the price? The, the wages, the wages of sin is what? Death. So if you're going to purchase mankind, what do you got to do? You got to die. Exactly. And we think about Jesus as men, he's called the Savior because he saves mankind. I love it when it says, Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. You can write that no other name. There's no other Savior. There's no way to come to God except through Jesus. Remember John 14? I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, you want to make people mad? You want to make people mad? Just tell them Jesus is the only way to God. You can get a whole crowd of people, and everybody—and you could say, how many people love God? And everybody's hand will go up. And you say, how many people think Jesus is the only way? And you'll get people looking at you like, well, you can't say that. That's not tolerant. It's intolerant to say your way is right. No, Jesus is the one that said it, not me. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He's the Savior. There's no other name given under heaven by which we might be saved. So thinking about sacrifice, thinking about uh, this whole idea, it, it, redemption deals with sacrifice. Because if the wages of sin is what? Death. And if we're all dead in sin and we need to be purchased, what's the purchase price going to be? It's going to be death. Hebrews 10.4, the animal sacrifices could never take away sin, right? Why couldn't they? Why, but what, let me ask you a question. All through those Old Testament sacrifices, they killed all these animals. Why? Why did sacrifices of animals only cover sin? Why did they not pay for sin? Uh, well, no, they were perfect animals. They were perfect human beings. Oh, oh so, so an animal can't pay for a human being's sacrifice, sin, right? Human sin, animal sacrifice, doesn't get it. The only sacrifice that can pay for a human's sin is a human sacrifice. I always ask this and it messes people up. I always say, did God want human sacrifices? And people go, no. I said, no, that's it. he had to have one. The only sacrifice that would work is a human sacrifice. Jesus Christ came as the great high priest and offered himself as the sacrifice to pay for the sins of mankind. The first time Jesus came, he came to die and rise again to pay for sin. That's his past ministry. The second time he comes, he comes to rule and reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm looking at the time because I want you to, to, to really get this. So let, let's think about the price, the price of redemption. Uh, there has to be a payment, right? John 1.29, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let, let me just say this. And, and everything in the Bible you have to stop and think about what it says because sometimes we go fast. He's the what? The Lamb of God who does what? Takes away, which is the idea to remove the sin, right? Of some people. Most people. All people. The whole world. There are people out there that teach that Jesus didn't die for everybody. There are people who teach that Jesus isn't the Savior for everybody. What does the Bible say? He's the satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I'm going to quickly give you, here's the price, and the purchase price is death. We are in the slave market of sin, and Christ came to buy us out of the slave market. I want you to think about it. When we think about the mankind as a sinner, 
We're in the slave market of sin. If you go back to the Old Testament, he's using a picture in the Bible of a person being a slave. And they were in the market. And they can't, can't buy themselves out. They don't have any money. They don't have anything. It's just like we're sinners. We can't. What's the righteousness of man? That's filthy rags. We can't purchase ourselves. We can't do anything. So in the slave market, a guy would come in and buy the slave and redeem him, purchase him out of the slave market. Jesus Christ came and took us and purchased us out of the slave market. That's what he did. And so the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ died. That's the purchase price. Let me throw some verses up and you can just put, put there in 1 Corinthians. I think it should be, uh, it's supposed to be 6, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And that is, they've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So change that to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 2 Peter 1, 18, we're redeemed by His blood. I just want you to see this. Galatians 4, 4, Christ came to redeem us, purchase us. You don't have to write down every word. I just want you to see that it's bought with a price. Redeemed by His blood. Christ came to redeem. We've got some more verses. Acts 20, 28, He purchased us with His blood. That's the redemption price. It's death. It's blood. Shed his blood. We're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the what? Precious blood of Jesus Christ. And here's my great point, and you've got it, but here it is. Jesus Christ died for who? For all people. I've got some verses there. Look at them. First John two two, you don't have to turn there. First John two two says he's the satisfactory payment out for our sins only, sins of the entire world. Hebrews two nine, he tasted death for every person. John three sixteen, he so loved the world that he gave his son. So when people say things like Jesus didn't really die for everybody, he died and paid the price for every human being. Every human being. Okay, that we've seen creation and we've seen redemption. Now, I want to show you something real quickly that, and you may, you'll have to write a few things if your page is like mine. It's not exactly right, but I want you to see something of redemption from, uh, from man's view, God's view and man's view. So if your book, if yours is like mine, at, at, at the top of the page, is at the top of the page, does it say God's view? And does there nothing underneath that? Write man's view, right? Just write under God's view, write God's view and man's view. We're going to look at two things dealing with the idea of redemption. We're going to look at it from God's side, and we're going to look at it from man's side. So where it says, number one, write propitiation and write God's view. This is God's view. It's called propitiation. Do you all know what propitiation means? What, why do I have it up there. It means satisfaction. Propitiation means a satisfactory payment. If I owed $500... And I couldn't pay it. And one of you came and said, I have the $500 to pay the person that you owe the 500 to. And that person would say, what, you got the 500 and Here it is. That was the satisfactory payment. I don't owe the $500. It's paid. That person is satisfied. When we look at redemption, from God's side, there is satisfaction. Okay? This is where we can get satisfaction okay the character of God God is not satisfied with our works they're filthy rags God is only satisfied in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ he is the payment for our sin that's the key he's the payment for our sin and I have 1st John 2 2 satisfactory payment 1st John 4 10 he sent his son to be the payment 
people are always trying, the world is always trying to satisfy God. Walk down an aisle, give your life to Jesus, turn away from your sins, make Him Lord of your life, be, get baptized. These are all things you're trying to do to satisfy God. And He's already satisfied. You can't satisfy God because He's already satisfied. He's satisfied how? In Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was the satisfactory payment. Don't ever forget that. When we see people and they say things, if you're willing tonight to turn away from your sins and give your life to Jesus, what you're telling them those two things will satisfy God and they'll be saved? No. God is already satisfied. We're not satisfying God. We're taking a gift that He's offering to us, the gift of eternal life. So don't confuse it. Uh, I talked to a guy today and we were talking about how so many people who may or may not be Christians, you can't even tell, when you ask them, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? And many of them say yes, and then you say why. They can't tell you why. They don't even know enough to tell you that I believed in Christ for eternal life. They can't, they can't tell you. Talk to people sometime. And when you get with them, say, by the way, let me ask you a question. If you were to die, you think you'd go to heaven? And they'll say, I think I would. And you say, why? And they can't tell you. They can't tell you. They'll go, well, I, well you know, I believe... I believe in God. Well, the devil believes in God. Well, well, I think, you know, I, I know that Jesus, you know, I, I pray to Jesus and everything. I said, what does that have to do with salvation? I've lived a good life. And so what are they thinking? My good life will satisfy God. And you can tell them, hey, you can't satisfy God. He's already satisfied. Okay, so from God's side, there's propitiation, there's satisfaction. Okay? Well, let's talk about man's side. From man's side, there's reconciliation. So a number two there, or there's, if, if there, yeah, there's a number two. Just write man's side and write reconciliation. And by the way, this is the story of the Bible, reconciliation. You remember? Let me write this up because, before you say it. <laughs> it's, and it's got to be perfect. No, I'm just saying this. Okay, what is reconciliation? It is the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Bible, and that's reconciliation. And without going to the verses, I mean, I just put them up here. He actually says in 5.18, he says, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and giving to us the word of reconciliation. That's those two verses. God has reconciled us to himself. Were you a friend of God's before your salvation? Were you a friend of God? No. Were you an enemy of God? Yeah. Were you like a sheep going astray, each one your own way? Was there none righteous, no, not one? Were you not seeking God? No, you weren't seeking God. So God, in his grace and mercy, sent the Holy Spirit to convict all people, the world. And when he convicts us, then we... Get reckon we start saying what, and he would understand who he is and what he's done, and he reconciles us to himself through his son Jesus Christ. He got, he made his son to be no one who knew no sin to be sin for us. So under redemption for us, we got he redeemed us and purchased us. God is satisfied with Jesus' payment, and we are reconciled and brought back to God. You were an enemy.
I was an enemy of God. I was doing my own thing. I, even if I said, oh, I believe in God and I'm going to try to live good, God said, you're an enemy. You're a sheep. You've gone astray. You're, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's not even one that seeks after God. God says, I'm going to bring you back to myself using my son, Jesus Christ. It all is Jesus. Everything is Jesus. So uh, when, we, when we think about uh, this whole idea is Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it's by grace we're saved through what? Faith. Not of yourselves. It's the what? The gift of God. It's not of works. Anybody should boast. Let me tell you something. If I'm sitting there and i got to walk down an aisle to be saved, you know what I can say? I walk down the aisle. If i got to turn away from my sins to be saved, you know what I can say? I turned away. But see, he says, it's not of works lest anyone should boast. God's offering the gift of eternal life. It's by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Boy, it's so beautiful. So I want you to think about uh, this, the three things that come by faith. Have you thought about that? that what, down at the bottom it says salvation. There's three aspects, three things that come simply by faith. One is God's righteousness. The second one is forgiveness. And the third one is eternal life. Stay right there for a second because I'm going to put another slide up which is going to match that one and you can write some more things. But think about this. This is what comes by faith. You get eternal life by faith. You get forgiveness by faith, and you get God's righteousness by faith. Okay, if you got that written, those three things, just those three. Now watch this, okay? God's righteousness comes by faith, Genesis 15, 6, and Romans 4, 5. So you can just put those verses down, Genesis 15, 6, Romans 4, 5. That's how you get righteousness. Why do you need God's righteousness? So you can be in eternity with Him. How do you get forgiveness? Acts 13, 38. When you believe in Christ, you receive the forgiveness of sins. And how do you get eternal life? Whoever believes has eternal life. John 5, uh, 3, 3, 16 and 5, 24. It's beautiful. So when we think about the past ministry of Christ. Everybody got most of that written down? It just, just throw the verses in there because you already had the other side of it. So when you think about the past ministry of Christ, He's the Creator that created all things. He's the Redeemer that saved mankind. And when we think about it, redeem means to purchase, by, purchase the purchased man. God is satisfied and man is reconciled. That's the two sides. From God's side, He says, I'm satisfied. From man's side, we say, I'm reconciled. And that's how that fits. Let me give you some things that what, I've, what we've seen tonight. Think about this. Number one. Oh, boy, come on. Okay, somebody pray. There we go. Okay, number one, Jesus is the eternal, sinless Son of God. The God-man who gives life as the Messiah, paying for the sins of the world. Now, that's a lot, and you don't have to write down every word, but that's what we've seen. He's the eternal, sinless Son of God, and He's the one, He's the God-man who gives life as the Messiah, paying for the sins of the world. I'm going to give you time to write it if you want to, so write fast. Time's up. I'm just, no, go ahead. So think about that. You know, there's a lot in that sentence, isn't it? He's the Son of God. He's sinless. He's the God-man. He gives life. He's the Messiah, and He paid for the sins of the world. Yes? Oh, um, yeah, here, the, the bottom line is, yes, 
that anybody could say, I'm God and I'm going to die for the sins of mankind. What proved that he was the Son of God who paid for the sins of mankind? His resurrection. And that's what Romans says. He's declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection of the dead. So you're right, Dad. It had to be sinless because the only way God can accept the sacrifice is if it's a sinless sacrifice. Okay, here's number two. John the Baptist announced the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. John the Baptist announced the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and there's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, if y'all got it? Most everybody? Some? Here's, well, it's going to be up there. I'm not erasing it. So there's number three. The past ministry of Jesus. We saw the past ministry of Jesus as creator and redeemer. We're talking about what we've seen in this lesson. I mean, there's a lot in this lesson. The past ministry of Jesus as creator and redeemer. Created all things. Redeemed us by paying a price. The fourth one is Jesus is the satisfactory payment for all sin. How many sins, let me ask you something, just in a ballpark, how many sins did you do today? <laughs> Give me a ballpark figure. 800, 1,000, 3,000, 5,000. How many sins, how many thoughts that you'd say, ooh, that wasn't good. Or how many looks or how many you bumped your leg and you thought a bad thought. I mean, how, I mean, how many times today did you fall short of the glory of God? And yet he's already paid for every sin, past, present, and future. For every human being. Fifth, by the work of Jesus, God the Father is satisfied and man is reconciled. Wow. That's a lot in this one little study. On this one little chapter or lesson. Now, are you about ready for the application? So let's think about by, by Jesus' work, God's satisfied, man is reconciled. That's the key. God is satisfied, man is reconciled. When we, when we look at this, and this is just the lesson one, on, on, when I say lesson one, we two parts on the ministry of Christ. Wait till next week. And then wait till the lesson. Which uh, when when I put this this lesson coming up on on the cross, wait till we get to the cross, because we're going to see Christ on the cross, and there's stuff there that you might not have ever thought about. I mean, there's, there's so much, you know. That's why just this this study has meant a lot to me because I see things and I go, wow, I don't know if I've ever thought of it quite that way. So let's talk about applications. Let's let's understand that Jesus is unique. The uniques. Eternal, sinless Son of God who gives life. He's the one. He's the unique, eternal, sinless Son of God who gives life as the anointed one. We've got to understand that's who He is. He's not just... And you know, there's some people that when they think of Jesus, they say, oh, He's the baby born in Bethlehem. No, He's the eternal Son of God who became a human being who is sinless and unique and gives life as the anointed one of God. That's who He is. And we need to think about Him as that. And that's why when you think about Jesus, you need to say, uh, if I saw him now, I would follow my face. We would. He's God. He's beyond our comprehension. 
His power is beyond what we can imagine. I mean, think about Jesus. The Bible talks about that. Jesus veiled his glory. When he became a human being, he's the eternal son of God. But I'm going to tell you, if he unveiled his glory, uh, people would die. And, you know, there's, there's only a couple of times in his ministry that he unveiled the glory. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he let them see what he would be like as the king, and they couldn't look at him. And then in the garden, when they came to arrest him, and he came out and said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. That's the name of God. And you remember what they did? They all took step backwards and put their faces to the ground. This is people coming to arrest him. I think if I was in that group, I'd have said, I'm, I'm not having anything to do with this. Right? I mean, that's who he is. The second thing is, let's understand the ministry of John the Baptist. What was his ministry? He's the forerunner of the Messiah. And he told really two different things. He told Israel to get ready. And he said that Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Think about that. Wow. Okay. So let's understand the ministry. So when somebody comes to you and says, John the Baptist said you had to be good to go to heaven. Say, his message to Israel wasn't the salvation message right there. It was to get them ready for the king. That's what it was about. The third one is, let's realize that Jesus is the creator of all things. He spoke it into being. All things were created by him, for him, and through him, and in him, all things hold together. That's who he is. The creator of all things. Number four. Let's thank God for the redemption of... In Jesus, as he died and rose again, paying for all sin. He's the Redeemer. He's the Redeemer. Is this you? You fall short of his glory? Do you on purpose sin? Then we owe God death, right? So what did Jesus do? He bought us. He purchased us. He paid the price. What's the price? Death. We can't ever take it for granted. Because we do all the time, but we can't. And then last but not least, let's understand propitiation and reconciliation. From God's side, propitiation means what? He is what? Satisfied. Satisfied. And from our side, we are reconciled. Never take it for granted.